welcome into another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I'm Karen Steckley. With me, as always, beat writer extraordinaire for The Athletic. He has a lot of cares, and let me tell you, one of them is not your world score. He is Cody Stavenhagen. Cody, how you doing? Hey, doing all right. You know, kind of every week I try to think, like, what am I going to say? How am I going to intro this podcast? And every week it's pointless because I end up just having to react to... <laughs> whatever clever like intro you thought of um so i got nothing i i did play wordle a little bit i thought it was pretty fun i'm pretty good at it but it's not really number one i've never shared it to my social media like why <laughs> like why does anyone care the only time i look is like if someone did exceptionally bad i take note of it and there are a couple people a couple journalists out there i'm like really like it took you like all like five tries to get that one <laughs> uh, <laughs> um and i haven't i've already not played it in a few days it's one of those fads that's going to go away in like a month so i'll tell you i have not played it um i don't even know what it entails maybe you could share with uh, with me what what it even is i don't even know yeah, i just know I these know. numbers it's just like a word guessing game and so i don't even know i think it's a five letter word you have to like you start with the five letter word and the game then tells you how many letters you got correct it tells you if, um, you know, your letters were in the right place, the right sequence within the word, and then you have to guess again, right? Uh, so it's basically if you figure out which um, vowels are in the word, it ends up being easier than it might sound. In my opinion, you should usually be able to get the word in three to four guesses. You just figure out what the vowels are, and then you can kind of, you know, eliminate a couple consonants and then usually the word kind of becomes clear but it does require some thought definitely so is it like wheel of fortune type stuff mm, not not really not really and it's just one word it's one word every day like you can go back in time and play multiple words but it's one new word every day hmm. all right well you learn something new every day that's the first time i've ever bothered to try to figure out what that game was or yeah, why people listeners out there if you don't play it don't don't start it's kind of <laughs> I mean, it's stupid and no one's gonna do it in another month so that's true that's true what i do uh, miss remember in college there was that that trivia game where you could like challenge people and i would always share on facebook back when that was a thing <laughs> and i would beat someone in that game i really mm. enjoyed that and I, I won a lot of the time so i, I got a kick out of that for sure what's a is there what's a good score what's a range here that people that how should i how do i know somebody's smart when well, i really like it, yeah so the the number of like you know the lines with like you got like the green squares and everything like if it's more than four lines in, in my opinion you've really you really messed up if you get it on three i think that's pretty good and four is probably like all right that's solid all right all if right. it takes you like all six then something's wrong so you got a you got a pretty good war on this game then is what you're saying um i, I think so i think so <laughs> well i assume you played this game a handful of times while you were doing uh doing some travels this week you got you got yourself out of michigan into uh what ti would call the dirty south and uh over there in georgia and it's my understanding that you went to the roots of the 
greatest tiger of all time, arguably Tyrus Raymond Cobb. So what, what, what did you encounter? What did, were you looking for? Um, I've never been over there to Cobb's like home area. It's one of the things I've always wanted to do. So I'm really looking forward to what it is you said that you found. Yeah. So I was in the, uh, greater Atlanta area for another fun story that, um, I'm going to keep secret for a little bit longer because I don't know when it's going to run, but because traveling is expensive, I was kind of like, all right, let's try to get it. Let's try to get two stories out of this. So Royston, Georgia, hometown of Ty Cobb, about an hour and a half, depending on traffic, uh, from downtown Atlanta. So I drove out there and Royston is home to the Ty Cobb Museum, which is, which is kind of cool. And I knew about it from social media and, and it kind of always just been interested in the setup. It's, you know, there are a few, there's a Shoeless Joe Museum, a Ted Williams Museum, but still the idea of one museum dedicated to one guy is, is I think kind of unique, you know? Um, so I went out there and honestly, I think the number one thing that stands out, Royston, woof. Uh, I know it was more than a hundred years ago, but it's the kind of place it's like, it's crazy to think that anyone ever came out of this town. And I got nothing against small towns. My parents and grandparents come from small towns. I'm from West Texas where there's not a ton uh, going on. Like, like I know that world, uh, but I was like, okay, Royston, Georgia, this is a, this is a different type of place. Um, but sure enough, it's home to one of the best players in the history of baseball. I would say not arguably the best Tiger. I would say the best Detroit Tiger. Some people forget uh, because it's been so long, the level of greatness that, that Ty Cobb you know, achieved in his career. His career is uh, far better than Miguel Cabrera's, in my opinion. And that's nothing against Miguel Cabrera. It's just Ty Cobb is really, uh, really was the cream of the crop in his day. And and the level of dominance he achieved in his time is rather tough to match. Um, first member of the Hall of Fame, got more Hall of Fame votes than Babe Ruth. Uh, but anyway, going to the Cobb Museum, I think it's pretty cool. As a lot of our listeners probably know, Cobb has somewhat of a complicated legacy. Some of that is the fact, hey, he was a fiery guy. It seems like, per all accounts, he was a pretty mean type of guy. Uh, the biography that was written, you know, around the time of his death, of course, the family would argue was highly sensationalized. In the early 90s, there's a movie uh, starring Tommy Lee Jones about the life of Cobb, which was, I definitely think, uh, portrays him as somewhat of a caricature. You know, he's this angry, uh, racist guy. I think he uh, rapes a woman in the film, which was not even actually based on any account of his life. It was just something that was added to the film to, to make him seem yeah, like, like a, a sensationalization of a sensationalization sensationalization source material is kind of yeah, my understanding. Yeah. Um, so it was actually shortly after that movie that the Ty Cobb Museum came to exist, uh, largely a result of people in Royston, some of them who were still around at that time who knew Ty Cobb, and then of course the Cobb uh, family kind of wanted a better way to get their side of the story out there. They founded this museum. It's actually in the old building of a, a hospital that Cobb founded in the area. Um, so there's a lot of uh, notoriety given to the fact Cobb founded this, this hospital that uh, made a lot of difference in the rural community. It also started a scholarship fund that, that for years has paid for under 
privileged children in Georgia to attend college. Uh, but the museum itself is very small. It's 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 not big. Uh, it's small, but it's kind of cool. There are some neat artifacts in there. You know, Cobb's glasses, a, a pipe, one of the shotguns he used. You know, and in addition to baseball memorabilia, there's a short film on on Cobb, and one of their newer editions is actually a scorebook from I believe 1904 when Cobb was playing. I guess semi-pro ball in Augusta. Um, it actually kind of traces his rise from just a dude who was batting like seventh in the order. And you can flip through the pages. They're photocopied pages. The original you can't touch because it's about to fall apart. Uh, and you can see him rise to hitting second in the order. And then, of course, obviously his play there and the, uh, the letters he was writing about himself posing as like a scout or a fan and, and the Grantland Rice, right? Grantland Rice, uh, who worked for the Atlanta paper at the time, helped publicize those. And of course, Cobb eventually gets signed by the Detroit Tigers. So that was kind of one of the newest um, artifacts. I'm, I'm a big fan of museums and I think they're important and also interesting. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is go to presidential libraries and museums. I guess I've only actually been to about four or five and Jimmy Carter's is in Atlanta and I wish I would have had time to go, but, but I didn't. Um, but they're interesting in that some of the ones I've been to are done in different styles, like the, the Clinton museum, which um, we attended together. Mm -hmm. I think there's one where one mention of the name Monica Lewinsky in, in this museum and it's very policy driven and, and whatever. The Harry Truman Museum in rural Kansas is uh, one of my favorites because it presents a really objective view of Truman's life and especially his presidency. Um, there's a whole section where it invites visitors to write down their thoughts on whether it was right to uh, to drop the you know atomic bombs on Japan, and it, it kind of presents the museum itself presents both sides of the argument. Well, here's how many people it killed, but here's why the uh, Truman and others thought it was actually the right move, like was this actually for the greater good, and it allows that debate. It doesn't try to say everything Harry Truman did in his entire life and presidency was the correct move. Um, the Cobb Museum has some, some placards, some writings that talk about the fact he was a complicated man, uh, kind of had an angry side to him, uh, but there are no specific mentions of um his views on race whether positive or negative or or a lot of the controversies you know the um Cobbs of course his mother shot his father um it was accidentally uh although there's there's still debate on that but she was acquitted in a trial uh unanimously by by an all-male jury so um it doesn't really get into that I think it just kind of tries to portray for the most part the the positives of Cobb's legacy. But I also think it's cool that this guy has been dead for 60 plus years, uh, 100 years past his playing days, and still such a relevant figure. I mean, there are signs right when you enter town um, saying Royston, Georgia, home of Ty Cobb. The statue that was once outside uh, Turner Field of Ty Cobb is now in front of the city's library. And his gravesite or the family's mausoleum is, is kind of a popular attraction. I went by that and um, you can't really go in it. So you just look at this brick building that says Cobb. But it was kind of crazy to think, wow, the, the remains of Ty Cobb are, are right here, you know, uh, standing right next to him. So 
it was overall a uh, a fun trip and I'm, I'm glad I made the trip and had some good talks with the director of the museum and uh yeah it was it was good yeah you know so I echo what you said about presidential libraries just down the road from where my mother grew up is FDR's presidential library and you talk about how these museums kind of portray stuff and you can go into FDR's house and obviously you see the artifacts you see stuff about how he kept himself in shape despite the fact his legs didn't work all that stuff and um I so you mentioned the A-bomb with uh Truman I've been I've looked into they don't let you into the room but I've looked into the room where uh Churchill and and FDR and I'm sure a handful of other people like mapped out the Manhattan Project um and and so and also I think this is kind of funny but when you go into like the the museum part not his house but the museum part of FDR's uh presidential library they have a Roosevelt family tree where you can trace how him and Eleanor are related like literally right as you walk in like not not like you gotta go find it like it's like doors open Here's how they were related. So I always kind of found that humorous. Uh, Hyde Park, New York is the town in which that is uh, that is found. And in regards to uh, Cobb's legacy, you know, I've always kind of likened him as uh, as Wilt Chamberlain. No one would say Wilt Chamberlain was the greatest basketball player of all time. But I find it hard to not say he's the most dominant. Sure. And I think Cobb, if you want to, if you know, like no one's going to say he's the greatest baseball player of all time. Now there was a time mm-hmm. obviously, but I think, I think you could make a really strong argument. He was the most dominant. I think he retired with like 90 something records. Yeah. Um, when we talk about unbreakable records, it's so unique. No one talks about it, but 54 steals of home. Wow. Is, yeah, that's not going to be touched. I, I, I'm just going off this off the top of my head. I believe second place, like a Lou Brock or a Ricky Henderson type, I believe second place is in like 19 ish range. So someone can look that up and, you know, tweet at us, you know, how wrong we are, but it's, it's a gap. Like there's like DiMaggio's hit streak has been threatened way more, more times than 54 steals of home. Yeah. Um, uh, and then obviously you throw in like the batting championships in yeah. that range. Well, it's and lifetime batting average record's not going to be touched. Either. No, no, no. Well, no, yeah, that won't be touched. And uh, I believe three times over at 500 or excuse me, 400, not 500, obviously over 400. Um, and I like that you mentioned the hall of fame vote thing because it's so weird like sometimes we have to remember how people were like remembered at the in the time we look at babe ruth as this mythical figure and he is he was like there's no doubt about that but Cobb got more votes at the time in order to get into the hall of fame that's always struck me as curious as someone really interesting, you know, so far removed, like if if you were to poll the average baseball fan, and the you know, you just gave them the list of candidates for the first Hall of Fame vote, unless you already know or you're just like a Tigers homer, no one's saying Ty Cobb would have gotten more votes. 
than 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 Babe Ruth. Uh, the World Series record's not very great. Um, I like you mentioned the Al Stump. Actually, that was I remember I bought Al Stump's uh, Cobb a biography, so not the autobiography he ghost wrote um, right. at, at at Barnes and Noble when I was in like seventh grade, and I was like, "Hey, Dad, you know, Tigers, Ty Cobb, whatever, can I get this book?" And he's like. I don't know if you, you know, <laughs> but it's my father. So he, you know, bought the book for me and I read it. And, you know, there, even then I remembered like some stuff where I was like, this seems weird, but I, I didn't have the ability to process all that. And then I, I bought at least one, I think Richard Bach's biography and, and then the, the one that came out a couple, I mean, a terrible beauty. I think that really just kind of classifies Cobb the best, a terrible beauty I love that um, title. It 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 doesn't get any better than that. I will say this. So it, it's in regards to like his racist reputation. There is enough contrarian evidence to say that it's not that simple. And I went last, so not last november like a couple months ago but last year two years ago i guess now whatever um i went to kansas city and uh and i went to the negro league museum which if you're ever in kansas city everybody you got to go there it's 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 not very big either but it's jam-packed with uh lots of stuff lots of information good people over there that work there and on their sort of like signed memorabilia section at the end of this kind of like loop through a ballpark that you go through in order to, you know, finish their artifacts. There's a baseball signed by various prominent black players from the thirties and the forties, including like Jackie and all, you know, Jackie Robinson and guys like that. And then it's also signed by Ty Cobb. And that ball was taken from when he threw out the first pitch at like uh, it was post integration, so it was like uh, I want to say I'm just going off the top of my head here. I'm probably gonna get it wrong. I want to say like an early '50s like Cubs game or something. So it's got like Ernie Banks and I think the Dodgers were playing the Cubs. So it's like Jackie and and so they put that there in the Negro League Museum and they like I'm not trying to hide the Cobb aut- uh, autograph on it. You know, like it's it's highlight and it has a little story. I'm not. I, I don't claim to know the truth no one really does um but i will but as i said a second ago there's it's definitely not a uh cut and dry issue and 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 as i said there's a lot of contrarian evidence i'm also a big believer in like simple theories i think for a lot of his life and a lot of the way he lived his life he was just an unpleasant person to be around and he was mean and aggressive and just downright dirty to a lot of people yeah of all spectrums i think uh and and you're more knowledgeable than i am you've actually read these books i've only read excerpts of them or uh read about them um i bought terrible beauty at the museum and plan to plan to read that whole thing so i've wanted to read it for a while uh but my take is like in terms of race, Cobb was probably a man of his time, although his father, who was a Georgia senator, was actually viewed as, as pretty progressive on race. So that's worth noting. His grandfather, uh, Pastor, I believe, was an abolitionist. Yeah. So it, it would probably not, you know, to sit here and 
paint Ty Cobb as this saint, uh, progressive man is probably no. not right. No. Uh, but there's enough evidence out there. You know, it, later in his life, he talked to the press about being supportive of integrating the game. A lot of people now like to point out he threw out the first pitch at the opening of Hamtramck Stadium near Detroit, the, the Negro League site. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean he's the most progressive guy of all time, but also probably not something the most staunch, you know, terrible racist guy would do either. Um, like a Klan member probably are, doesn't do that. Yeah, Let's just put it out there. Yeah. He was alleged to be in the Klan, and that's not necessarily the actions of a Klan member. Yeah. So doesn't mean they both can't be true, but like, it's just a lot of room for debate. I think like most things, the truth is probably somewhere a little bit in, in the middle, but um, it's, it's, you know, you also got to tell both sides of the story. If you're going to talk about the bad of Cobb, you got to bring up some of these other things as well. I think that's part of what makes him so fascinating 60 years after his death. Uh, Unfortunately, I don't think we're talking about him that much. If all this isn't so interesting, People are still trying to crack the puzzle of who was Ty Cobb really. And uh, that, that, like it or not, that's part of his legacy. Well, you know, I believe, and again, I'm going off things that I had read many years and many beers ago. So I'm trying to see if I can remember it correctly. I believe he was the first millionaire athlete. Yes, based on uh his investments what the most noble of them would be coca-cola so your boy here very impressionable reading about him being a coke guy that's how i became a coke guy <laughs> oh wow uh and uh, and still maintain to this day i'm not i don't really like i don't like pepsi uh which makes going to comerica park a little challenging sometimes oh, pepsi's terrible <laughs> pepsi out of here Pepsi, but, if you want to sponsor us, we'll, we'll listen. But, you know, and I'll drink your stuff that. from now on. Yeah. <laughs> in, in, in true Ty Cobb capitalism spirit, I'll drink your stuff if, uh, if, if you want to sponsor this podcast. But, but that's another wrinkle, too. And then, all the, as you mentioned, all those like, great things he did uh, you know, in his post-career at the hospital and the scholarships and all that stuff, that can't be overlooked either. Um, it's as complicated a legacy as they come if you – read excerpts from people speaking uh, that played against him um, and in some ways played with him. Like it was all respect. There were there. Obviously there were people that hate him too, but most players really highly respected Cobb. And I think, I think because it's Detroit, not, not like a small market, obviously, but you know, compared to like the Yankees and not didn't have that world series success. And then the cloudiness and the reputations that came from the stump writings. I think that's kind of why we are sort of like short to bring him up, honestly, as much as we should. Um, Cause if you just look at pure numbers and dominance, uh, it, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to ignore what he did on the ball field and, and then his story too, you, you kind of alluded to it, but I would encourage everybody to read how he even got to the tigers. It was basically like, you know, the tigers had spring training over in Augusta and, you know, he happened to be there and he's a young kid and, you know, all right, well, you need somebody to come up here. I think it was 1905 and that's how he got a shot. I think he had a double in his first at bat, if I remember correctly. Um, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And, uh, and then also I think it's, 
if you want to think about like even being like 20 years old ish or whatever at the time, how much your environment kind of molds you at that young age. So he's never lived outside of Georgia and he goes to Detroit and he's a meat because at that time, uh, many times throughout baseball, but it's obviously worse back then, just like hazing and, you know, a bunch of, you know, a bunch of Yankees basically thinking he's this dumb hick with his accent or whatever. And they didn't really embrace him. And so he became sort of this scrappy guy as a result because of his own teammates. And then that lent itself into other areas of his life and other facets of, of playing the game. But if you, if you look at the, I mean, he wasn't very big and by all accounts, I think he was fast, but he wasn't, um, he wasn't sprinter speed or anything. Um, obviously strong enough, but not, not like a, you know, not like a bulky guy or anything. He trained in the off season by hiking with weights in his shoes. Like this guy was not like, <laughs> yeah. a, you know, and that was kind of present at the time, but you think like Babe Ruth with this her Herculean figure in general. Cause at the time he was like bigger than life. Cobb was never bigger than life. Um, and so I think that part probably partially uh, plays a part in it. And I, and I would like for there to be more sort of material that comes out every now and then I was reading about what's the name of the author of the terror beauty, Charles, uh, Charles Learson? Uh, Learson, yeah. Learson, um, about how he pitched the idea. And it was essentially the only reason this book, which I think has helped kind of revigorate the Cobb uh, image a little bit. The only reason this book even got made is because, uh, publishers were like, well, I guess we haven't really had a Cobb biography in a while. So I guess it's time. And yeah. that sort of like flippant of an attitude as to whether a book gets published is the only reason we can kind of be able to re-examine, um, re-examine his history or whatever. And by the way, him and Babe Ruth became pretty good friends post-playing career. They were not friends, I believe, during their playing no. career and did become friends. Yeah. Afterward. Tying the Babe is a, another uh, good book. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't read that one. There is, um, they were, they were very competitive with each other in golf, both very good golfers after their baseball career. Uh, some of Cobb's golf clubs are in the museum as well as a trophy. He was presented solely for beating Babe Ruth in some charity <laughs> tournament they played in. Yeah. Uh, Tris Speaker was a great friend of his. The, the gambling scandal, was that mentioned at all in the museum? No, I, no, I'm not even that educated on that one all my i've spent the best few days of my life just reading about Cobb. i don't know a ton about the gambling scandal still well i mean that's how we got to philadelphia basically oh um, that's right yeah and so i mean just for a short version years prior him and speaker were accused of fixing games this is obviously post 1919 with the black Sox scandal judge kennesaw review it, it was like a relief pitcher who said that he was like Paid by Cobb or Speaker. I'm going to get some details wrong, but I'm trying to get the gist of it. Paid by Cobb and Speaker to help, like, conspire to fix a couple games in, in, in like, the 1924-ish season or somewhere around there. And then he, like, wrote some – he tried to produce some letters from Cobb and Speaker, and it, it was all – I'm one of those people where it's like, could it be true? Yeah, it could be true, but the evidence presented – just didn't amount to anything. And, and Kennesaw Mountain Landis said, you know, acquit, essentially acquitted them of any wrongdoing, which given his reputation, if he thought he could hammer them, 
I'm sure he would have. I mean, he did the shoeless Joe. Um, and, and so he was like essentially granted his release from the tigers because they just wanted to kind of separate, um, from Cobb at that point anyway. And so that's how he got to Philadelphia. Um, quick note though. One of the reasons I, I mean, I obviously I've seen field of dreams, but one of the reasons I'm like, I just, mm. well, I just never get into the hype is that line yeah. uh, from the shoeless Joe character uh, saying it's like, Oh, we never invite Cobb. Everybody hated that a-hole. And it's yeah. like shoeless Joe and Cobb are like best friends. I have a picture of them right here in, in my podcast studio. I think Cobb like gave him money at the end of his life. Cause shoeless Joe had nothing. Yeah. Um, right. So I just, I hate that because it's just as inaccurate. Like if you would have had any other, like even like Eddie Seacott or something, you know, would have <laughs> said that. Like yeah. I've been like, okay, but like have Shoeless Joe say it. I was like, come on, come on, dude. I'd be like saying, I'd be like Babe Ruth being like, yeah, I hated having Lou Gehrig behind me in the batting order because <laughs> he wasn't a very good hitter. Like that's how inaccurate it is. Hmm. So, so I, I just had to get on that tangent for a second. <laughs> um we could probably talk about ty cobb forever clearly we like history probably more than a lot of people these days um i was gonna say there there are some ball players in the atlanta area who don't know that the ty cobb museum is an hour and a half away from them and they've lived there their their whole lives you know the director of the museum was actually like i think if i had it my way everyone who makes the major leagues like should have to come through this museum just to learn about the history of the game, one of the one of the forefathers of the game. Um, and, you know, I'm sure there just would be educational value for for any player in that for sure. Yeah. And. Especially an area that. You know, I would say I see a decent bit amount of guys that are from Georgia or oh, Atlanta. I mean, I mean, more so than I think I realized until I started kind of looking at at some of this stuff. And I actually, I got a, uh, speaking of, of Cobb and legacies, one of my birthday presents from my father a couple of years ago was a picture of uh, a very young Al K line speaking, uh, shaking hands with Ty Cobb. I think it's actually the, I just looked this up recently. It's either the, I think it's the oldest known photograph of the two of them or like the only photograph of the two of them or whatever it's obviously reprinted and all that stuff but like it it it's right i shortly after i believe k-line you know won the batting title and all that stuff so and of course k-line was the one who beat Cobb's record for youngest batting champion um early in his career so yeah i could go all day on this uh this was without any prep this was all at the top of my head i've, I've read <laughs> I've read a lot. I probably too much. I used to have the Cobb movie and I lost it. And I never really tried to get it back because it was such like horse crap. Although it was kind of fun to see like some like just any sort of old baseball time. Like, uh, yeah, I kind of want to watch it. I've seen it before. I want to watch it again now just to kind of laugh at it. Like that yeah. movie and, and the Babe movie are just like terrible. Oh, the Babe uh, movie. And inaccurate, but still fun. I still like watching them. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, I was also going to say I didn't get to go on this. The one of the things about this story shows that the baseball writers have just been on some bullshit for a long time. <laughs> who, who are the guys who didn't vote for Babe Ruth, and who are the guys who didn't vote for Ty Cobb? And what, like every what, year, like what are we like? Come on, like really, like really, this is not new. None of that is new with the Hall of Fame stuff. Well, you know the classic thing every year because I mean baseball is the 
and as we got Hall of Fame ballots being published this week, baseball is the only sport that, well, not the only sport. It's the sport that invented the term first ballot Hall of Famer. Right. And this is exactly where some of it started. There's a thought, oh, well, Babe Ruth didn't get 100% of the vote, so neither can Derek Jeter. Well, well, I, I do believe the more common one is, and I don't know if anyone's actually attributed to this quote, but the more common one is, well, Joe DiMaggio wasn't a first ballot Hall of Famer, so yeah. I'm not going to vote for anybody on the first ballot, <laughs> which is so strange. Like, I just don't get it. Like, for, like, why was Joe DiMaggio not a first ballot Hall of Famer? <laughs> like, what are we doing? And in some ways, like Cal Ripken, I think, like, there are a couple of people, because for a while, Cobb had that record for the highest vote percentage. And I believe Tom Seaver had a higher really? one. Uh, again, this is off the top of my head. I believe Tom Seaver had a higher one. Please double check me. I have a lot of our producer uh, look this up. I believe Tom Seaver and then and in recent memory, Cal Ripken. Is it Mariano Rivera? Oh, Rivera no, got oh, no, right. no, there's uh, there's there's yeah, Rivera was the first one to get hundred, the only one to ever get hundred. Yeah. And I believe um, Jeter had higher than Cobb, I believe. Jeter and Griffey are both now higher than Cobb. Okay. Seaver, uh, Nolan Ryan, 98.79% yeah. higher than Cal Ripken. And then Cobb is, is behind Ripken. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh all-time highest percentage, higher than Hank Aaron, you know, Babe Ruth, Willie Mays, all those guys. Fun fact. Uh, as we wrap up a little Cobb discussion, um, Ty the Cobb. First guy to, the first guy to get 100% of the vote was a closer. Like, if there's anyone to not yeah, get 100% of the vote, it should probably be a closer. Like, what are we, what are we doing? That's cool. true. That's true. Fun fact, Ty Cobb tried to get Frank Navin to uh, acquire Walter Johnson when they first saw him when he was like a rookie. Wow. And, uh, you know, they had the three pennants in a row there in the early part of the century, but they could have gotten Walter Johnson. Tigers might have not had to wait until 1935 to get a uh, get a World Series. So, I oh, believe he also guy, wanted Eddie Seacott. I believe another guy Cobb gave money to post playing career was uh, Mickey Cochran, the uh, Tigers player manager, of course. Yeah. Great and friends, a, they were great friends. That's a uh, another fun one to read about. Cochran essentially had a breakdown while manager of the Tigers. I believe after they won the uh what the 35 world 35. series uh because of the pressure and i'm trying to find it i don't know if i can bring it up quick enough but the doctor prescribed him like stay away from the sport of baseball until your nerves <laughs> recover or something something hilarious like that i well I, didn't he get I, like I, hit in the I, I, I shouldn't even say this because i'm he didn't he get like hit in the head or I something like that so. during a game i i, I, I wish i did that more. i wrote a story here's another fun story i wrote um once about the time Babe Ruth almost became manager of the Tigers. He, you know, they hired Cochran instead and it worked out, but Babe Ruth was once seemingly pretty close to uh, being Tigers manager. And Babe Ruth always lamented the fact that he never got a managerial yes, job. And, uh, and as we talked about last week, Cobb had an above 500 record. You know, not going to overrate it, but nothing to sneeze at either. Mm-hmm. Uh also, Cochran had a nervous breakdown. Doctors prescribed isolation and complete rest with no newspapers, radio, or quote, <laughs> talk of baseball allowed. 
he was hit in the head after that when he, oh, uh, okay. he returned in 37 and in 38 he was fired you know what that's probably a pretty good prescription for a lot of people like can we modern day doctors be like all right no twitter no facebook like no social media and no talk of baseball that would that'd probably be good for me in the off season you know that's actually one of those things that we sort of laugh about it at first and then it's like wait a second they might have been ahead of their time on that one no newspapers (laughs) um also worth noting with Cobb because I mentioned he was not liked by his teammates right when he came to the Tigers um and would get in fights uh what was the catcher's name they had a catcher that was a rough and uh Schmidt Schmidt was mm-hmm. his name um and they got into a fight in spring training because I think Huey Jennings the manager was like go rough them up go toughen them up or something and they got into a fight like underneath the grandstands or something um but the star of the Tigers at the time was Wahoo Sam Crawford, who I believe still holds the record for most triples. I believe yeah, he has so. yeah. the career record for most triples. Uh, and as Cobb started ascending, you know, started threatening Wahoo's stance on the team and thus in baseball, and they didn't really like each other all that much. And I, now, I'm sure it was mutual, but that was one of those things. I think it was probably more so from Wahoo's side because, again, his status was getting threatened. That's a classic tale. As old as men have been competing against each other, yeah. uh, that's been going on. But Cobb, like, petitioned and, like, promoted Wahoo's Hall of Fame case in, you know, toward the end of his life. And it, took, it took Crawford a while to get in the Hall of Fame. In fact... Uh, we'll have to get the producer on this. I'm not sure if he, uh, I don't, I'm not sure if he was alive still when he was elected into the Hall of Fame. It's possible he was already dead. I, I, I'm, it was later. Um, but, but Cobb was a huge champion of getting Crawford into the Hall of Fame. And, you know, look, maybe he would have gotten in anyway. But if we're talking about the complexities of a character, of a man's life, this guy was sort of like your arch enemy. This guy, like, bullied you. This guy, like, put you down, tried everything in his power to make sure you were not successful in your career. Years later, you're still able to try to get him into a status that you believe he deserved. It's very big of him. Sam Crawford Kieran was elected to the Hall of Fame in 1957. He did not die until June 15th, 1968. So, okay, he was okay. alive for a good 11 years. Okay, good, good, good. But... But yeah, and 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 and, and uh, you know me, Cody. I'm like I'm a fairness guy. Like I I don't I don't want this to come across this whole podcast as sort of like rainbows for Ty Cobb. I'll just say my opinion on stuff with the race. One thousand percent by today's spectrum, yeah. we would view him a racist. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do. I believe he viewed blacks and whites on the same plane. No. no. But I think he also was not I don't I don't think he was still trying to fight the Civil War as uh, as as was his reputation, as was he was accused of by many at that time. I I just don't think that I think he was just an a-hole and he was an a-hole to a lot of people. And there are documented instances of him being a-holes to uh, to African-Americans. And Mm -hmm. and that lent part of the reputation but I don't think he was a 
Klansmen. Let's phrase it like that. Yeah. And I and I don't know. You 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 come from this from probably a more objective perspective than I. Does that seem fair? Is that a fair assessment? Um, I want to actually read all of the uh, Learson book before I like probably speak definitively on that. But from my impression, I mean, yeah, I think he was uh, he was an a hole. He was probably did not view black people and white people to be on exactly the same plane. Also, the tales and legends of of Cobb is this, um, I don't know, evil racist are, are quite a bit exaggerated. Yes, and one of the things in the in the Learson book is mainly based on the fact that he's a dude from Georgia, essentially, um, right. uh, of that time. So uh, that was a that was fun. That was a lot of Cobb discussion. Um, since we since we talked about Cobb so much, how about I just kind of skip ahead a little bit and do my Cobb connection? How, you know, my well, Cobb died sixty plus years ago. We're talking about him for forty minutes on the podcast. Love it. Must I'm be a lot. Right, some kind of story. I'm supposed to find some kind of topic about the future of baseball. If anyone has any bright suggestions, let me know because I don't know what to write about. And I I guess I just like history too much because like I don't. The future of the game is fun to speculate about, but I'd much rather write about Ty Cobb than like some speculative thing about what baseball might be like in another decade. That's fair. And it's a lot more interesting than research, um, which essentially is what I did is what I'm doing here with this cop connection. Now this one's a long one, but it's a fun one because uh, you know, once there's not that many people that have played that many years. So I just kind of threw this together starting with Robbie Grossman. Robbie Grossman, who on May 2nd, 2013, was in the lineup with the Astros with one former Tiger, Carlos Pena, at the end of his career. Carlos Pena started his career with the Texas Rangers, and on September 24th, 2001, he was in the lineup with Rafael Palmero, who is going to be on a lot of tickers this season when if there is a season when Miguel Cabrera gets 3000 hits because Palmero is one of the few with 500 home runs and 3000 hits. So you'll be seeing his name a lot this year. Rafael Palmero on April 20th, 1994 was in the starting lineup with the Baltimore Orioles with Harold Baines, Harold Baines, hall of famer on April 20th, 1980. While with the White Sox, was in the starting lineup with Bob Molinaro. Bob Molinaro, a former Tiger, while with the Tigers on September 18th, 1975, batted right behind Willie Horton. Willie Horton on, uh, oh man, I missed the year here. I believe it was 1965. I missed the date, but 1965, he was in the starting lineup with a man named Jerry Lump. Jerry Lump on April 20th, 1956, while with the Yankees, shared the starting lineup with Yogi Berra. Yogi Berra on September 24th, 1946, was in the starting lineup with Joe DiMaggio. That was Berra's rookie year, I believe. Joe DiMaggio on June 20th, 1936, his rookie year, shared the starting lineup with Jake Powell. While a member of the Senators, Jake Powell shared 
the starting lineup on August 3rd, 1930 with Heaney Manish, who began his career with the Tigers. And I just chose the date. April 28th, 1924, shared the lineup with Tyrus Raymond Cobb. So there's your Cobb connection. A lot of names there, but it was fun. Sorry, Robbie Grossman. You're not actually that closely connected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, he just turned 30. These things get a little hard, you know? Like, <laughs> it's not like Cabrera. I go all the way back to 2003. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right, well, let's, I think we can spend a little time on some lockout stuff. Again, nothing substantive. I believe the day this this podcast publishes there will be another meeting between the players and uh and and the owners um i think it's probably gonna be another short one it's probably gonna be another short one i believe this time the players are bringing a counter proposal though so i guess it's a little different technically and like you said it's gonna be short and i think we're getting close to not panic mode amongst fans, but high levels of concern. I don't think the optimism meter, I think it's leaning way left. Like it, it, it's, it's not very optimistic. Uh, I, I really like the column that your colleague, Ken Rosenthal, um, put out there. And I think we're going to get to the point. Just answer this as a yes or no question. Are you tired of COVID being a thing? Yeah, everyone is. Yeah, yeah. Are you tired of just the political game that we that we are just in right now? Just politics in general. I mean, I mean, uh, yeah, of course. Everyone yeah, just is. like yeah. So I think this lockout's going to get there because I think people are exhausted by COVID. I think people are exhausted by the way politics is right now, and I think we're going to get exhausted by this lockout. Oh yeah. It yeah. what you know once it gets to you know spring training getting delayed and then opening day being threatened and all these things and there's just not that much light at the end of the tunnel ken said something that we had said actually previous is that it doesn't really seem like it'd be that hard to come to an agreement um but it's very clear that the players are going to be stubborn and the owners are going to be stubborn and i am this is not me taking sides i think they're both as of right now, very impassioned about what they want or what they feel like they deserve. And as of now, there's not really much indication of like, you know, giving in on anything. So. Evan Jolik's last article basically laid out, this is very important for the players. The players kind of can't afford another loss in the next CBA. And the owners know this. So it's going to be a real test. Okay. How bad do you want change? Do you want it enough to, risk delaying the regular season like are you actually about that and i don't think the owners want to delay the season probably even less than the players but it uh i still feel like the season can start on time but um look i talked to a couple big leaguers this week like any hope of spring training starting on time is just gone just out the window no one's even entertaining the idea and i'm slowly getting even less optimistic too i've been preaching everyone don't panic Oof, but it's uh, the picture is already grim and we're not even in February yet. And it's only going to get worse in the in the near future. Well, OK, so I keep reading about the players and, and how they felt wronged in 16 and all that stuff. And look, I get it. I'm not disputing their point of view. 
But my question is, are you trying to hit a home run with the CBA or are you trying to get a double? Yeah. And I, and I think that analogy might basically tell us how long they're prepared to sit out. Because a lot of people say like, okay, you're typically not going to get, you know, you just want to kind of progress into this direction for your next agreement. And, I, and it's, and it's hard to, to get players to kind of buy into that because, you know, a lot of them might not be around for the next agreement, which, you know, and that's always the thing of, that's always the thing why you shouldn't automatically side with, you know, cause generally speaking, the owners historically have always done a good job. I mean, like, look at these selfish millionaire athletes, these spoiled athletes where it's like, well, you're a billionaire and, you know, like it, you're selfish too, you know, like, but they're always really good at kind of putting the, putting the, the onus on the players. Um, but the reason these things are complicated is because the owners can own the team however long they want, essentially. And players can only play a certain amount of time. So they're always going to want to maximize every single dollar they can make with their bodies that will expire. Like you, you know, there's no getting around that, right? Father time's undefeated. And there's always a new crop of players coming in that are just as skilled or more skilled and like any professional sport are cheaper than what your veteran would cost. So, um, but I do think the players could easily overplay their hand here if they're not careful. If this, I'm sorry, I forget his name, but they're like labor negotiator um, is really just a, uh, is really just a guy who wants to pick a fight and doesn't, you know, doesn't really care any ramifications from that, like what his arguably his reputation, arguably. I think that could turn on the players too. I mean, we live in an era that's as just generally speaking as a country, um, as pro labor and has, you know, we lament billionaires in our culture more so than I think we ever have. So the players could use that, but I also think they could overplay their hand there. So I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah. One related note, one guy no one seems to like right now is, is Rob Manfred. His approval rating was already not very high, I think, amongst fans, amongst players, probably even amongst owners. Um, and it's not getting any better. I think he continues to kind of dig himself a hole. Um, one thing that you brought up was Kim Rosenthal's column, and, and the most recent one really pulled no punches, maybe because – and Rosenthal is no longer employed by MLB Network. He was yeah. more or less not renewed, uh, it seems, because of he was critical of Rob Manfred. Which, but, which can can I? I'm sorry, can I interrupt you for a second? I I, I, ha, I have a thing about that because I know that's a couple weeks old, but that was like on MLB Twitter. That was like this huge deal. Right, it's like, oh right. my god, I can't believe MLB Network did this. I'm gonna say it was kind of a nothing burger to me. It was kind of a nothing burger to me. I, but maybe that's because as someone who went to J school, even though I'm not like a journalist now or anything, but as someone who went to J school and still kind of looks at things through that lens, I'm not going to like look to MLB network to be like my journalistic lens of how baseball is. Like if you're going to work for MLB network, you're going to have to be a homeboy for major league baseball. You know, the same thing with NFL network, NBA TV, all that stuff. That's what the roles are. And by the way, people that do that, I have no judgments for like yeah. that. That's fine. But I just, I don't know. I just, people were like, I can't believe 
can't believe they would do that. This is, well, you know, it, it was almost people were reacting as if the New York Times did it to Ken. Mm-hmm. And I just I just look at that from two different ways. Well, and, and by the way, he's still fine. He's still employed. He's still prominent. Oh, like he's, he's gainfully employed and the yeah. company that he probably has a ton of equity in just got sold. So he's probably getting a massive uh, payday from that a lot more. Than he he can afford the bow ties. That's uh, all I'm saying. He, he's he's going to be all right. But Fox probably surely they buy the bow ties for him. Right. I hope they do. Uh, my stance on this, like, yeah, not surprised. Uh, I did two internships for MLB.com at the bottom of every MLB.com story. It would say, you know, this story was not subject to the approval of major league baseball or its clubs. And that more or less was bullshit. Like, it'll be like, like, like there were times things would get taken out of stories. Uh, the story ideas in general were, you weren't going to write anything too edgy uh, if you're employed by MLB.com. You just weren't. You just weren't. And I have heard stories of ideas and, and things getting totally nixed out of stories. And I think one thing a lot of fans don't realize that MLB network is owned by MLB. Like it is the league overseeing mm-hmm. the coverage. So, right. It's different than a third party journalistic entity. Um, and I think that's really not good for the game. Um, NHL has it of course there's NFL network but MLB you know baseball tonight isn't what it once was like MLB is not covered day-to-day on ESPN like it once was like the main TV that I watch to to learn about what's happening on the league is MLB network and I think that's okay for the day-to-day like who's playing well you know what's the pennant race look like but the overall coverage of the game is going to be skewed a little bit because you have guys who, uh, if they're critical of Rob Manfred, apparently they're going to lose their jobs. And I would also say, like, is that not just an idiot move by MLB and Rob Manfred, even though it's not surprising? Yeah. If you want to make yourself look worse, fire a guy who is better liked than you for criticizing you. Like, this was just more bad PR. By trying to get yourself good PR, you got yourself worse PR. Just I don't even think Goodell would have done that because even yeah. NFL Network, like, is not afraid to kind of be critical of, in certain facets, you know, not like an actual third party, but they, they're they more critical of, like, Goodell and stuff than in the NFL than you would think, um, even on sort of, like, light shows like Good Morning Football. And, and I, I want to say one quick thing about Manfred as well. He's the poster child for all this with uh, with the owners. You know, he's ahead of, you know, he's a commissioner. That, that's what comes with it. He's also serving the owner. So I think if we're going to, like, if, if someone just, like, 100% hates Rob Manfred, that Spectrum needs to at least move a little bit to be like, all right, it's 60% his smug attitude and 40% his bosses because he's just doing what they want. Like, so, so any, anything that you have against Rob, you need to also point at the, at the owners because he's only doing what is serving them. He's not an independent actor here. So I just think that's like worth noting. I, I think that's really important to note. I really don't like, um, the way Manfred has handled PR for the game but he's also kind of become this boogeyman figure. That's like, let's all just point fingers at Rob Manfred and maybe some degree that's justified. Also it is, it is worth noting. Like there's, there's a bigger, more three-dimensional picture to everything that's going on as well. Yeah. So we'll see if anything comes out of that 
of that meeting on Monday. Probably not, but maybe we'll get some more anecdotes and uh, and at least some clarity because I think most things have been played close to the close to the vest That's here. True. And uh, for our sake, selfishly, I'd like to be able to kind of talk about some things in detail. Uh, and maybe as we get closer and deadlines come uh, that get passed, uh, we'll be able to get some leaks and, and things like that. Um, all right, we'll, we'll wrap up here with a College Chronicles. Uh, listeners of this pod know that Cody and I like to frequent back in the day a place called J.R. Murphy's on the Strip in Stillwater. All, pretty much all good times there, Cody. There was one time where, you know, you're, apparently, apparently, you had a little bit too good of a time. So why don't you, why don't you tell the people what happened there? Yeah, Kieran kind of asked me before we started recording, like if I was if I was cool sharing this story. And for a second, I hesitated, and I was like, "Wait, yeah, of course I am. Like, I'm actually proud of this story, <laughs> uh, mostly because I did nothing wrong. But number two, you know, I think it gives me a little street cred. Like, I have I have been go. kicked out of a bar before. You know, I, I can't been, say that. I can't say oh, that. What a, what a loser! You just like. <laughs> behave well handle your alcohol well what a loser right i think i've been kicked out of the bar you know I'm, i go pretty hard uh no we were just at jr murphy's like we were a million times and we were kind of standing on this wooden deck area outside like we normally were and i'd been drinking but uh was pretty in control of myself i feel like like and this relatively just, early in the night as yeah, i recall it was probably around midnight maybe uh this bouncer just comes up to me and he's like yeah, you got to go. <laughs> I'm kind of looking around and I'm like, no, like I'm with, like, I'm with him. Like I'm with these guys. Like I'm good. And he's like, no, you like, I saw you stumble. You got to go. <laughs> and I don't think I stumbled. Like I know I didn't stumble. So I'm still confused if he thought I was someone else or if there was, I really don't know what led to me getting kicked out of this bar, but, uh, Kind of tried to argue it for a little bit. Became clear that argument was not going to work. And by the way, these bouncers are country boy, big and strong. Yeah. Just, just yeah. for the record, yeah. a little imagery. So rather than try to like fight the guy, I'm just like, okay. And I begin <laughs> walking to the exit, and he's kind of trying to like assist me, I guess, because he thinks I'm so like hammered. And I just keep walking, like kind of walk ahead of him, and I just walk out of the bar. And <laughs> Kieran, being a good friend, also left the bar and kind of met me outside and for a split second we were just like oh, i guess let's just go back in line uh we ended up going to another bar instead <laughs> which i was admitted into and <laughs> bar at which i actually became like pretty heavily intoxicated because i was mad um but I, I think i even told the bouncer i was like there are a lot more people in this bar more drunk than i am right now which is true i had been more drunk in jr murphy's than i was at that time it still remains kind of a mystery as to why I was I was kicked out I feel like he must have seen someone else stumble and got confused in the crowd and thought it was me I don't really know it was strange there was uh, kicked out of a bar you know so yeah like, you know well uh that was an uncommon thing to get uh to get kicked out of Murphy's just for seeming too drunk like yeah. that was that was a very mainly you only got kicked out of there if you essentially got in a fight or you tried to like sneak in, which we saw some people try to climb the roof and sneak in and, and they, they, got it, they, they were as they, they were tackled as soon as they got in. They also one time, just a real quick note, 
uh, at the time when I was in college, my family lived in New York. So I had a New York ID. And every time that ID always went through the ringer, like it, no one believed it was real. It was, it was real. Um, and so one time they, this bouncer was looking at my ID and he's like bending it. And the New York IDs were very, very bendy. And they're also like $80. I was like, dude, if you break this thing, like I'm going to be, I'm going to be pissed because like, first of all, it's not gonna be easy for me to get another one. It's New York. Second of all, it's going to be like, eight dollars all right it's a lot of drinks at jr murphy's eight dollars so <laughs> yeah. um so so then he he goes to behind the bar and then he brings out a post-it note and a pen he goes sign your name and i was like what he's like sign your name so i signed my name and he looks at it and he goes okay you're good and I was like, what did that do? What did that, what did that do? And, and I happened to be kind of friendly with another bouncer. So like I asked and he goes, well, they're just trying to make sure that, that it's really you and your ID. I was like, it looks just like me. It's my picture. Like I took that picture six months ago. Like I don't really look any different. And, and so like, I thought that was like the weirdest protective mechanism. It's like sign your name. I was like, it's obviously me. Like, it's not like it was like, so they thought it was a real ID, but not me. Like I had gotten it from somebody else. So they were trying to see if I could like replicate the signature. But I was like, you know, it's obviously me. Like, it's not even like remotely close height, weight and, you know, uh, uh, hair color and eye color and all that stuff. It's all in there. So I thought that was very weird. But but yeah, Cody at one time got thrown out of a bar. So, you know, he's a little harder in the streets than I am. <laughs> But, uh, but all right, we'll go ahead and get out of here. Hopefully next week we'll have a little bit more, a uh, little bit more lockout talk of substance. We can always talk about it, but of substance to, to kind of dive into. We'll see what uh, gets leaked this week. In the meantime, you can follow my boy here at Cody Stavenhagen on Twitter. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley and our pod page is at turn corner pod. Follow us on Apple, subscribe on Apple and Spotify. If you feel so inclined, a five-star review. Um, you know, I was listening to the Athletic MLB show, and I was like, man, it'd be pretty cool to have the Athletic moniker on our podcast. Who knows? Maybe it'll happen. Um, but if we could get some some followers, some subscribers, some good reviews, that, that would help, uh, help that be the case. So... For Cody Stavenhagen, I am Kieran Steckley. Everybody have a great week.